This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Chris and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every meeting. Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Jenny. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any seat, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thank you, Jenny. So, what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer from cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think that sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety, one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9, and we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share her experience with alcoholism. So, let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, Jenny, and give us a quick sketch of who you are? Yes, I'm Jenny. I'm an alcoholic. I, um, I'm in... Um, Mid age, <laughs> <laughs> and um, came into the rooms nine years, eight months ago, and it's been a saving grace of my life. Um, I am married. I have two adult children, um, and uh, the profession I am in, I never thought that I would be there. Um, it is. I actually work for myself, so it's pretty amazing, and have um, I'm able to connect with people and converse with people that I never thought possible. Uh, my growing up, where I came from, um, I was from a country town, and never knew about alcoholism. Never knew I was an alcoholic, and um, you know, grew up, went to boarding school, felt the odd one out. Uh, got picked on and, you know, felt that um, square peg in a round hole person and just didn't fit in. Mm. So how old do you think you were when you started drinking and and how did it progress? So I was, um, my first drink, I remember it was about 12 years old and um, it was the end of year sort of... um, where I was from in the small town, the businesses would, you know, put on end of year drinks before Christmas, which you go into the cities and, you know, it's the Yahoo, yay. So I was only 12 and um, I remember, you know, the great DB cans and um, stealing a couple of them and or sneaking a couple of them and and just feeling this this euphoric sensation of like, oh, I feel free, you know, it's just freedom. And then the first drunk was when I was I was either thirteen or fourteen, can't quite remember. And um, and it was at a wedding, and that was my first blackout as well, because there's part of the night that I just don't remember at all. Um, I remember sort of some people commenting. I don't really remember the commenting, but I sort of remember the. Um, creation in my head that of what I had done and I didn't know if it was real or not and I was like nah I couldn't have done that no that's not me and um and then I didn't pick up another drink or drug until about a year later when I was in a foster home and um and that foster home was drinking drugs galore there was no boundaries um you know my dysfunctional family that I came from you know there was no alcoholism in it that I could see except for you know my father would go to the pub and I would sit in the in the truck and have my salt and vinegar chips because you know that's what you did (laughs) you know as an eight-year-old or seven-year-old and um so yeah so going into this foster home it was like I can do what I want when I want how I want and 
and I can fit in because I can drink and and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it kind of normalised the drinking and the drugging. Um, I remember my my first, <laughs> I got bought a bottle of Southern Comfort and um, went to my foster. It was just me and my foster mum. She had three, four kids. Um, there was only three living with her and she ended up, you know, having a few of us foster kids living there. But I remember one night she took me out to her friends and asked me what I wanted to drink, anything. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and she got me a bottle of Southern Comfort. I don't think I drank another bottle since because I drank that whole, you know, one litre bottle, um, 1.125 or whatever they were then. Oh, yuck. I just cringe. And, of course, I blacked out again then and, um, you know, ended up, I don't know where I ended up, but anyway. And, um, yeah, it just progressed from there. It's like I think I was an alcoholic from the start because of that blacking out. And I've, I've only have come to know, learn that from being in the rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, did you ever try to stop drinking? Um, I did try to stop drinking. I didn't, between the age of being in that foster home, between that and 18, um, or 16, it was a good couple of years anyway, because I ended up in a so-called training centre that was drug and alcohol rehab. It was living but it was actually drug and alcohol galore. It was just party, party, party. It was fun. <laughs> um, but it wasn't fun. You know, I hated the world. It hated me. I had an emotional um, um, inner turmoil is what I call it. Um, there was stuff going on inside me that I didn't know what it was. You know, um, I tried uh, committing suicide a few times. I had a lot of those suicidal thoughts uh, drinking made me angry. I preferred um, to smoke pot. Um, I tried to balance that out. You know, I'll smoke pot and then I'll have a drink and then I'm quite mellow. Um, that happened maybe a couple of times, but it was, you know, it wasn't predictable. I wasn't predictable. Mm. You know, I could have um, gin, I could have vodka. Oh, vodka was all right for a while. That sort of, you know, I didn't flip out on that or black, you know. Most of the time I think I blacked out, but um, I remember thinking that there was something more. There was always something more, but, um, and I did try to stop drinking, but then I was always smoking pot, so it never, I didn't stop smoking pot until 20, you know, um, until I was about 40, and, um, or just before that, five years before that, so, um, and I'd moved up here from another another location. So I didn't, I remember the longest time I tried to stop drinking was a year, and I did stop for a year, but my head was nuts. Like, the, the insanity, the the emotional turmoil, I just, you know, it was horrible. It was horrible sitting with myself. I didn't want to, I just wanted to numb the pain. I wanted to numb that hate, you know. Yeah. So basically you were in trouble whether you were drinking or not. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What what made you realise that you needed help? Um, So I continued the switching from the drink to the drugs for, you know, um, how long? Um, 10, 20, 20 years. Um, And then 25, it wasn't until 25 years that um, 
was actually part of a church and um, the pastor, unbeknownst to me, was an alcoholic, had been an AA, um, 12th step me. It's talked about step one, two and three. Um, and that's when I realised that I was an alcoholic and that, you know, I knew my drinking wasn't okay because every time I picked up, because in the later years it was um, controlled drinking and I've heard the word functioning alcoholic, um, that was me. I had to work, I had to support my children, I was a solo mother. So, you know, it was really hard to keep that balance and not let it interfere in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I let go... Um, you know, I had my, one of my sons used to say, I'll oh, take a chill pill, mum. So, you know, that was the inner turmoil, building up, building up, building up. And then it was like, I, I need a drink to, you know, to release that pressure that was building in me. Yeah. Um, can you describe what you felt was your rock bottom? Um, I think I had uh, a few rock bottoms. Um, the biggest emotional rock bottom that I remember was... Um, it would have been, it would have been about uh, ten years before I actually came in, and um, and it was a abusive relationship, and I just just had nothing. I was spent, you know. Um, it was um, intravenous using. It was um, marijuana. It was drinking. If it wasn't that, it was you know switching. You know, cross addiction, and um, just. I remember a friend saying to me, you're okay. It's like, yep, yep, I'm fine. And I must have looked a mess. And then, um, you know, when I was 12 stepped, it was just, I'd had enough. I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired and not knowing what was wrong. Because I'd tried everything. I'd tried counselling. I tried all the self-help books. So I didn't do rehab. That was one thing. Like I came under the radar. Mm. with doctors, with everything, even though I had mental health issues that just was never asked. Never asked how much I drank, never, you know. So, um, I don't know. It's, yeah. And that that bottom to that brought me into AA, it was, um, you know, it was around the younger kids, you know. I got a foster daughter and it was around her and it was like, why am I doing this? I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I'm too old. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, it was just, I knew it wasn't okay. So how did you find your way to AA? You know, were you referred from an alcohol drug service or advertisement or something that you knew? So it was that pastor that 12-stepped me that um, I'd gone and, you know, rung up and pulled me. Pull me, pull me another drink. You know, it was like, you know, victim mentality. And it was like, I've got a really sad life and I can't stop drinking. Well, I didn't realise that I couldn't stop. But, um, yeah, so he put me in touch with a lady that was in AA. And she contacted me. And um, one of her friends took me to my very first meeting. Yeah. Yeah, and it was amazing. It was sitting in that room. You know, my head was down looking at the floor because I was too full of shame. Yeah to look at anyone and um, and I didn't want them to see me you know because I felt like a bag of you know mess absolute mm. mess and I remember sitting there and hearing the sharing and thinking oh wow these guys are telling my story 
And that feeling that I had, I really felt that I was at home. Mm. I distinctly remember that feeling. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you got a lot of hope from that first meeting. I did. Yeah. I did. Mm. Mm. And so how have you managed to stay sober? Can you describe <laughs> that to us? What, what you've done, what you haven't done? So it took me about three months to actually stay sober um, because one meeting a week just doesn't work. <laughs> So I found out. Um, I thought that, oh, you know, I can still control it. And, you know, in in the book it says, like, if you can, you know, think you can drink like a gentleman, then, you know, go out and try it some more. And I had to try it some more. So it wasn't until February 2012 was my last drink. And um, how I did it was I got a sponsor. Um, who had done the steps and had um, a bit of sobriety up. And um, she then started taking me through the steps. And I needed to do those steps to get well. Um, For me, and this is only for me because everybody's recovery is different, Uh, I was doing about five meetings a week. Um, I think initially it was, um, there's a suggestion um, you know, 90 meetings, 90 days, and I thought, right, I'm going to do my best to do that because, you know, there was, there was in my head I had to make a decision, either I'm an alcoholic or I'm not, and I really struggled to say that, and it did take three months to say I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> it took three months for me to share, to even open my mouth to say that. Every time someone asked me to share, I was like, no, no. Still, you know, too full of shame and, you know, my sponsor suggested to me that if I'm asked to share, that I share, no matter how I felt, because, you know, that was my higher power, you know, working in my life. And as I worked through those steps, especially steps one, two and three, and that, that is finding my higher power. I had one when I came into the rooms, but um, it, that was different. That was different. You know, it's a spiritual connection. You know, and those for those that are listening and you hear me me saying this is, you know, don't be put off by hearing that, you know, you have to have a higher power of your own understanding um, because that is the solution. It was the solution for me and I see it for many others. That's great. Wonderful. How, how important have, has service been as part of your recovery? Um, service has been, um, it is very important for me to um, stay out of my head because if I don't, and so to explain that, um, being in my head means that I isolate and I don't talk to anyone. And then, of course, the pity party starts in the head and then, you know, the dis-ease starts and um, I get uncomfortable, I get fearful, I get all this stuff starts happening in my head, which is the um, not emotional recovery that I seek. <laughs> and so to keep that emotional recovery, I need to do service of some sort. And um, it has been great. I've done a lot of service, um, sometimes, um, you know, a lot, you know, um, to stay in the middle is what I hear. So I did that for a time, but, you know, sometimes that doesn't fit in my life. So mm. it, it's it's something little, it's something big. It's whatever suits for my recovery mm. is what I've worked out. 
Sounds great. So how would you describe your li- yourself and the life you have today? Do, what sort of inner changes? And oh, wow. Um, lots of inner changes. Um, being able to, I mean, first for me is the awareness. The awareness of there's something going wrong in my head or in my body or, you know, I'm feeling that dis-ease, then what do I do? You know, pick up the tools is um, going to a meeting, get myself to a meeting, ring my sponsor, um, you know, ring another alcoholic, um, you know, and do whatever service, you know, and and that's, you know, what I'm doing now is service, sharing in a meeting is service, you know, it, it comes in many forms and that helps me get out of my head and it's giving this program away, it's giving away what I've got because if I want to keep it, that's what I need to do. Yeah, and what about your actual life? How's that changed since you've become sober? Your so career my, and stuff. My actual life itself, um, I'm content today. I was never able to sit still and be content. You know, I have, um, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. That, you know, and I used to hear that when I came into the program, and it was like, what's What's that? You know, and there's this, you know, in step nine we have the promises. You know, we do not wish to um, shut the door. We have no regrets on our past and not wish to shut the door. And I hated my past, absolutely hated it. And I wanted to slam the door on it. But now I share that past. I share my experience, strength and hope in the hope that that newcomer will get some hope like I did. And that, to me, gives me the contentment in the life that I have. I'm not ashamed. I don't often get that inner turmoil, but when I do, I know what I have to do. And that's really important, is um, keeping my sobriety. Yeah. So AA is described as a spiritual program. Mm. What does that, how do you define that, and how does spirituality differ from religion? Um, good question, and I know a lot of people ask that question. So for me, spirituality is um, it's a connection to a higher power of our understanding, and um, it's it's an inner it's an inner working. Um, there's a description I think I can share is that um, there's an emptiness that I used to have in the pit of my stomach, you know. And I've heard some people call it, you know, it's the God hole. You know, it's the hole that can only be filled spiritually by whatever your higher power is. And that is so true for me because when I'm in my head and my ego is, is, you know, edging God out, I know that I'm not spiritually filled and my connection isn't close. So, and religion to me is just words it's not heart, it's not in your soul. So, you know, there's a, there's a soul-heart connection and that's spirituality for me. Thanks, Jenny. And so just finally, what advice would you give to someone who knew they had a drinking problem in the hearing you today? What would you suggest to them? Um, what I'd suggest to them is, um, so for me, um, you know, I was 12-stepped by someone, and but I can't, I knew there was something wrong because I tried to fix myself. I tried to fix myself. My suggestion is, um, you know, pick up the phone, ring the 0800 number 
because they will connect you with members of the fellowship that have that experience, strength and hope. Because sometimes we can only hear it from those that have been before us. I know that is true for me. Because if I'm listening to someone that hasn't experienced it, then I'm not listening to them. Mm. You know, because they don't know. But if you ring the 0800 AA number, you're going to connect with people that know. And, you know, um, you can go onto the website, the aa.org.nz website. It has meetings lists. If you're brave enough to go and step into that meeting, I take my hat off to you because um, that is a big step. Uh, I used to do a few meetings on my own. and But once you do that first one, I tell you what, the fellowship will be there for you. And um, yeah. you'll get numbers. And really, if you get numbers, use them because, you know, it's about the fellowship. We're there to support you. Mm. Mm. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. You're welcome. Thank you. So for our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web, as Jenny mentioned, it's www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. This brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. And we'll now close this show with the serenity prayer as we do at every meeting. So, to a God of your own understanding, God, God grant me God. the serenity to, to accept, accept the, the things, things I, I cannot change, change courage, courage to change the things, things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. difference. You've been listening to Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. <laughs> 